Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome, everyone, to this special report. We are speaking with Mr. Brad Holcomb, who is the committee chair for the ISM's report on business. He covers the uh, manufacturing report on business. And his cohort will be speaking to later in the week, Anthony, uh, Tony, uh, sorry, Anthony Nieves, who is going to be talking about the non-manufacturing report, but that doesn't come out until a little later. So we're going to jump right into this uh, very excellent report with Brad. Brad, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. And thanks for having me again. It's always a pleasure to dig deep into this report with your audience. Especially when you have good numbers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Brad, I'm going to kind of let you take the lead on this, as you usually do, because it's such a great report, and uh, we'll just kind of follow along here. Thank you very much. It is a strong report, and there's a lot to talk about here, but let me start with some headline numbers. The PMI at 57.7 uh, is up 1.7 percentage points. It is the highest uh, reading in the PMI since August of 2014, so approximately uh, two and a half years. And new orders at 65.1 is up a whopping 4.7% over a previous uh, high for the year. Of course, it was January 60.4. That's the highest new orders reading since December of 2013, so over three years. And then finally, finally in this sort of headline discussion, production at 629 uh, that's up a point and a half from last month, the highest number since March of 2011, uh, wow. when it when it was uh, you know in about the same number. So we've got a lot of highs here, uh, dating back uh, a number of years, and it's also the first time in I think about 20 months that all five of the key indicators feeding directly into the PMI were above 50, uh, including this month inventories at 51.5, up three percentage points from last month, breaking a downward trend of 19 consecutive months below 50 and popping up above that 50 mark. And we'll talk more about that. Great. Well, this is certainly excellent news that, uh, you know, we've all been waiting for for a long time. So, what are the respondents saying, Brad? You know, very, very positive uh, comments. And, of course, uh, the comments are more forward-looking often. The uh, procurement supply management uh, professionals that provide these comments uh, and data have order books in front of them that represent, you know, weeks, if not months, of, of new orders. So it's with that perspective that they provide us uh, with these quotes. So a couple, for example, you know, in the computer and electronic products industry, which happens to be the largest of the 18 industries that we cover, here's the quote. Very positive outlook for this quarter. Production goals have been adjusted multiple times and increased each time due to demand. Uh, that's a very strong comment uh, from computer and electronic products. And from um, metal, primary metals, let's pick that one. Bookings are heavy early in the season. Expect robust first half of the year. So, again, forward-looking, uh, very positive. Uh, Brad, uh, the next one. Just, yes. Brad, Brad, just let me mm-hmm. just interrupt for a moment just to back up that primary metals. Uh, all metals in Forge Group this month has had the largest booking month in 18 months. So wow, we're congratulations. Following, yeah, thank you. So we're following right along with the uh, PMI, and uh, uh, which we've always done as a what I consider ourselves as a leading indicator. So we're right on mark with you. So don't let me don't let me continue Good. to interrupt. Good. Well, anytime. 
those are those are great comments and uh, reinforce what we have here. Uh, from food, beverage, and tobacco products, I like this one. Demand still outstrips capacity. Competitors have announced heavy capital investments to increase capacity. Now, if that's not forward-looking, nothing is. You know, competitors uh, <laughs> right. investing capital to increase capacity. Uh, how good is that? That's uh, uh, almost as good as the next one. Machinery? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Sales and business continue to be strong and increasing. And, of course, machinery reflects uh, increases in capital, uh, capital expenditures, and, and so on. Um, one, one more for right now uh, in a, a little different uh, vein from electrical equipment, appliances, and components. Major focus on commodities and potential for further inflation. All right, so let's, let's talk about that. If you go to our prices index, it's at 68. It's down a point from last month, 69. Prices of raw materials and inputs have been increasing now for 12 consecutive months. And we do have a comment uh, that I just mentioned with kind of a heads up, let's let's watch out for some some level of inflation, and uh, so that is definitely worthy of watching. But it also reflects, you know, a strong you know supply and demand uh, equation uh, playing out here. The demand, as we've talked just now, is is high. Uh, the the supply is trying to catch up. And when that happens, uh, prices can tend to increase. Uh, not necessarily a bad thing if it's held held in check. Okay. Right. Uh, right. Well, uh, some other. Go ahead. Very good. Some some other interesting numbers in our our table manufacturing at a glance. If your audience has access to the computer, you can find these reports. Um, on the Institute for Supply Management.org. Uh, the uh, employment number is a strong 54.2. That's down 1.9 percentage points from a very strong 56.1. And I say that because we already have strong levels of employment in manufacturing uh, as well as uh, really across the country and uh, continues to move in, in the strengthening direction. So employment has been growing for five consecutive months, uh, really a, 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 another good sort of forward-looking indicator that companies would not add to their ranks of employment if they weren't confident about the near, near to midterm future. Okay. Right. Um, Right. Next on our, our list of uh, here's the fourth metric that feeds into the PMI supplier deliveries, uh, delivering raw materials to our manufacturing companies, up 1.2 percentage points to 54.8, uh, slowing uh, for 10 consecutive months. And when deliveries are slowing, it refle reflects you know tightness in the supply chain activity. Uh, suppliers are having a, a somewhat difficult time uh, keeping up, catching up, and again, not not a bad thing uh, at all, and we like it above 50. Okay. And then finally, I've touched on inventories of raw materials at 51.5, uh, up three percentage points from last month. We, we had a, a period of, I believe, 19 consecutive mo months of inventories below 50 uh, on purpose, uh, good, solid, lean manufacturing, lean inventory control. But the fact that it's now above 50 uh, indicates, and, and we know they have the ability to manage it lower. We've seen that for 19 consecutive months. But the fact that it's above 50 again, represents confidence in a continuation of new orders, uh, continuation of production, uh, continuation of, uh, of exports of finished goods. 
as to as to not run out of inventories uh, to keep up. So, you know, another good sign sort of rounding out those top five, all above 50 for the first time in 20 months. I see that the, there's a fair number of commodities that are up in price. You talked about price price increases, but there's a fair number of commodities that go into manufacturing that are up in price yep. as well. Yes, exactly, and that's consistent with uh, with uh, pr- you know prices going up, and we list the specific commodities that are going up in in price. There, you know, many of the the metals uh, complexes. Uh, you know, consistent with the price of oil, you know, creeping up um, and uh, caustics. I'll read a few more. Uh, butadiene, caustic soda, uh, copper, corn, corrugate, diesel, ethylene, some resins, uh, isopropyl alcohol, rubber, both natural and synthetic, uh, and scrap metal is up. It's it's down as well, so there's probably an inflection point, and I would suspect that it's going to, you know, come off the down in price uh, list uh, next month or so, and uh, mm-hmm. continue on the up in price. Uh, all the steel, stainless, tubing, uh, carbon steel, cold rolled, galvanized, hot rolled steel, all those are up in price uh, for generally a number of consecutive months, uh, styrene and titanium dioxide up for three consecutive months. So there's, there's a lot that are up in price and only one listed as down in price, which is scrap metal, uh, again, also up in price. And then in terms of commodities in short supply, a short list, which only has garlic uh, on it. So there's some Italian families. There's some Italian families that are going to really struggle without their garlic. Well, exactly. <laughs> Better get to the store and find a find a supply. Um, and uh, continuing uh, continuing on with our our discussion of of prices of the 18 industries that we follow, 16 are reporting paying increased prices, and two are standing pad, and no industry reports paying lower prices overall during the month of February. That's something that we, we certainly will continue to watch. Uh, we don't want, obviously, inflation to get carried away, but I think the Fed has a goal of, you know, 2% inflation. Uh, and so, you know, some inflation is, is a, a positive thing in terms of the economy overall uh, being in a growth mode. I want to remind our listeners that uh, the report that the Institute puts out contains a listing in each of the categories of new orders, production, employment, inventory, supplier deliveries, a breakdown of the industries that are uh, experiencing ups and downs. So always an excellent report to really go into because it does have a lot of information and Brad always encourages people to find their industry and begin to track it. I will also comment that uh, Lou has been following with All Metals and Forge Group this report for, I'm guessing, somewhere uh, around 40 years. And this report consistently is a leading indicator of where manufacturing is going based on where it has been to the most recent months because manufacturing is a leading indicator. If it starts to pick up, the economy is picking up. If it starts to tail off, the Economy's heading in another direction. So, Brad, again, I want to just right. congratulate the ISM on what has been a very excellent algorithm over uh, many, many years. Well, actually, over decades, uh, and you know, we're we're very, you know, certainly proud of the the work that's done by the team and by our uh, 350 respondents and analysts and, and so on, and and we we do have a consistent process which is appreciated, uh, you know, at many different levels. Uh, we have special relationships with the Council of Economic Advisors, uh, with the Fed in Washington, and certainly with, with Wall Street that turns to the ISM PMI when there are alternatives out there that, uh, that are not looked at so much uh, as ours because of our history and the correlations that we have 
with uh, government statistics, uh, for example, that we provide uh, good, reliable, uh, real-time data and ones that correlate uh, well with and provide leading indications of things like employment and production uh, that come out a little bit later uh, in the week or month from the government. Right, right. Now, this 57 reading, uh, what, I know that you correlate that to GDP. I don't, I don't know the algorithm to do it, but the 57.7 obviously is uh, correlating to a upper GDP. What does it calculate out to, Brad? The, the f actual 57.7 for February, if that's annualized, I mean, if things continued uh, in that vein, uh, it would correspond to a 4.5% increase in real GDP annually. Uh, and if we look at the average of January and February, it's 56.9 uh, over you know, a year's time that would correlate to a 4.3% increase in, in real GDP. And those statistics are gained from an analysis that involves, you know, a lot of historical data. Uh, and, you know, you have to, to you know, appreciate these numbers in, in that perspective uh, that we're not necessarily, you know, as a total economy going at those rates, at least not yet. And uh, perhaps not on a sustainable basis, but nevertheless, uh, it, it indicates you know real strength right now, uh, and something that we think uh, you know we have an opportunity con to continue at these at these levels, uh, if uh, you know if if nothing else changes, uh, I don't see any any tailwinds or headwinds that would take us off course from what we're seeing these first couple of months in the new year. I think it's uh, important to note for our listeners that uh, these monthly numbers are an annualized number. It's not taken uh, out of context for that month. You've uh, act, right. I guess cost averaged it so that it takes into account uh, the ups and downs over the course of a year. Um, the uh, the second point is uh, I think that perhaps the mild winter that we've been having also has contributed to uh, some of these numbers uh, being as good as they are. Uh, we didn't haven't lost any production time. We didn't have delays in shipment because of snowstorms. So all of that has contributed, and uh, I, I wouldn't think that you have a way of. Uh, putting that into the number uh, as part of your annualization uh, Well, not process. per se, but, but you know, when, when we do have a fierce winter, uh, and, and that's happened in the last, you know, few years, we'll have comments from the respondents that say, hey, right. you know, the weather really impacted us, and, and we had right. to shut down plants, or we had, you know, employees had trouble getting into work, and so on, but what, what we can glean from this is that, uh, you know, customers and, and, you know, people at large were not prohibited from going to the store and buying our manufactured sure. products. You know, Correct. That showed Correct. up in, in new orders big time. And it all starts there with consumer, well, A, confidence and B, activity uh, in order to drive this, this whole system. I, I would imagine that uh, Anthony Nieves' report, which comes out on Friday for the non-manufacturing, is also going to show uh, startling uh, numbers. But I'm not asking you to reveal anything. <laughs> well, I don't. Well, I don't know. Uh, all of these things are held in in close confidence. I don't even have a need to know what Tony will report, and so I, I have no leaks. idea. Our White House has leaks. ISM has no mm. leaks. <laughs> we, we we purposefully try not to, uh, you know, to do that. And so uh, and we'll wait uh, two days for Tony's report. And of course, his sector represents about eighty-eight percent of the economy. So it's it's obviously a very large impact. You know, that sector has has been doing well as well. Uh, and uh, you know the 
it is important for our uh, our audience to look at both reports so that you've got and other reports as well so that you've got an appreciation for uh, the economy and what's going on from a, a variety of perspectives. Uh, looking, we see looking that at the order the, book helps. Yeah, for sure. And we see that the um, you know Wall Street is really responding today. You know, the last I looked, uh, you know, where the Dow was over twenty one thousand for the first wow. time ever, I believe. Wow. You know, it's up two hundred ninety four points right now. Uh, following certainly this report, but also following the the president's speech last night. So again, uh, the the economy, uh, business friendly environment, uh, seems to be showing itself uh, in in the numbers, and that's uh, obviously good for manufacturing. Sure enough. Yeah, big time. Brad, just to kind of wrap up this segment, is there anything else in the overall you want to share with our audience about this report or maybe where things are looking to go? Yeah. Well, a couple more things. And uh, New export orders at 55 are up uh, half a point. You know, export orders of finished goods growing for 12 consecutive months. It means not just domestic, but the whole international commerce is, is working well. Uh, imports of, of raw materials and subassemblies up four percentage points. So our commerce back and forth across the oceans uh, is is strong. Uh, backlog of orders is, is very strong at 57. Uh, it's been contracting, but now it's it's uh, growing. And that that bodes well for future continuing strong production numbers as well. So Strengthen the numbers, strengthen the comments. It's a, it's a very exciting uh, time and and and, uh, and report uh, to present this morning. Uh, we want you to continue doing this such a fine job, and next month's report should be only as good. Well, one <laughs> cautionary note is that we can't uh, expect, nor do we want, the PMI to continue to go up, 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 month over month over month. We bump our heads on the ceiling, uh, get overheated. We don't need that. So if it stays at these, you know, mid-50 uh, levels, we'll be in really good shape. Uh, so let's uh, be aware of that as well. Where, Brad, would the PMI be overheated uh, itself, in the low 60s or mid-60s? Uh, certainly once you start to get into uh, in anything that's got a six in front of it, uh, then you start to, you start to really wonder. And the last time it was actually, according to a quick scan here, 60, even February of 2011. So it doesn't get there very often. Uh, and, uh, you know, that would be, uh, you know, not not necessarily something that we want, nor would it be nor would it be sustainable. Mhm, mhm, right. Okay. Well, again, what? we. Uh, I was going to ask uh, Brad the that uh, January 11th date when it hit 60. What what was the next month? Uh, January 2000 and. Uh, that was actually, I think, February of 2011 was 60 even. Uh, the next month was 59.4, then 59.1. So it hung in there at about that same yeah. level. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it's not – previous to, to that, you have to go back to 2004, which is pre-recession wow. and – not necessarily that relevant to these new times, but in mm -hmm. May of 2004, it hit 61.4, uh, and that was surrounded by some other 60s uh, for a while. So in 13 years or so, it's been uh, only twice yeah. did it hit the 60s. Okay. I'll so so mid 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 50s, uh, mid to you know upper 50s is is just just great and. Uh, we, we would love to see that uh, in the next few months. Well, 
Brad, we appreciate you being on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us again. My pleasure. Thank Thanks you very Brad. much. Thank you. Have a good day. We are here with Chris Steele. He is with Armada Corporate Intelligence, and he is also the economist for the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International. Always has great information on uh, both the Credit Managers Index Report, which comes out the last day of every month, and some of the economic factors in general. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Always excited to have you here. How does the Credit Managers Index Report look uh, when it was rolled up at the end of uh, February? Yep, we're pretty excited for a change. Uh, We've been seeing pretty steady progress on both the combined report, and if you've looked at it, and some of the listeners I think might have seen it over time, we've got the service and manufacturing sectors split out, and both were performing pretty well this month. But the good news is that manufacturing now is riding a third straight month of progress. And when you look at the at the index, it's divided in a number of different ways. And one of the more significant differences is what we call favorable versus unfavorable factors. Favorable in the life of a credit manager means I'm getting paid or people are looking for credit. So we look at things like dollar collections. We look at applications for credit. We look at amount of credit expended, um, sales, things that would suggest progress and people paying their bills. The unfavorables are when they're not being paid, and this, of course, makes a credit manager cranky. Um, they That's when we track accounts out for collection, disputes, bankruptcies, slow pays, all that kind of stuff. So the really good news coming out of the report, and it's been doing it now for three months, the favorables are looking really good. They're, in some cases, into the 60s. This is the first month in... I think five years that all of the favorable categories were above 60. So very promising, lots of sales activity, people catching up on their debt, all that stuff. The unfavorables are still a little weak in places, but they're also getting better. Uh, But we still have two or three that are under that 50 line, which would suggest contraction. So by and large, we're excited because it's pointing towards a better future. And that's what we've been seeking now for several years. Is this unusual, uh, Chris, for the first two months of a year to be as strong as it is in the, particularly the manufacturing world? It certainly has been unusual in recent history. Uh, we have had years in the past where the first of the year performance has been respectable. Uh, you've had a certain amount of kind of recovery from the, the spending that takes place at the end of the year and companies get their inventories back in shape and all of that. But for the last two or three years, we started out, the economy as a whole has started out really rough. And the first quarter has often been the worst quarter of the year. I don't think that's going to be the case this time. I think we're looking at a certain amount of expansion taking place. Some of it is that traditional replacing the inventory that was sold last year but a lot of it is more anticipatory. Um, It's not universally good news. I mean, the durable good orders came out uh, last week, and and they were very promising and very high, except that it was almost all aerospace. Um, The rest of the business sector was not as aggressive in, uh, in doing the durable goods purchases. But even though we're not seeing gangbuster activity, we're seeing good, solid growth which that's the first time we've really seen that in probably four or five years. Let it keep doing it. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Chris, do you follow machine tool orders at all at Armada? Yeah, we do uh, pretty much through the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association. I'm their economist, and one of the things that they have done for the last couple of years is what they call the FFJSDR Please do not ask me to tell you what that stands for. The worst <laughs> acronym ever. The um, It's the Forming and Fabricating Job Shop Survey. And it tracks kind of the small job shop and what they're thinking and what they're doing. And their, uh, the indicators from that survey have shown that even the smaller job shops are doing more capital spending. 
They're on track to do even more capital spending uh, through the course of the year. Uh, just got through giving a presentation for a big machine tool maker in the Chicago area. They had record attendance at this sales meeting, everyone coming to pick out their machine. And some of this is predictable because you're looking at sort of the interest rate inflation equation. Um, people know interest rates are going to go up. <clears throat> they know that inflation is going to get more serious in the year to come. So anybody who's been on the fence is now saying, well, it's not going to get any better and it could get a lot worse, so I better buy now. Seems like a yeah, it sounds like a reasonable conclusion to come to. <clears throat> yep. And occasionally, yeah. people are reasonable. Not often, but, you know, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were speaking with Brad Holcomb, and he uh, indicated because uh, exports are up and imports are up, and, of course, the PMI uh, overall is up to 57.7, that uh, the global economy looks to be picking up as well and getting stronger. Uh, would you concur with that? Yeah, I would concur. I think a little bit of what's going on here is is reaction and anticipation of what might come. Because you look at something like imports right now, <clears throat> there's a lot of threat to imports if you listen to the politicians. You're listening to people talking about the border adjustment tax, and they're talking about the tax on goods from Mexico. And if you're an importer, <clears throat> you're looking down the road going, you know, things could get messy here in a hurry. So if I think I'm going to need something, I better buy it now. And we're seeing a lot of what we would call preemptive buying, getting in that supply so that you don't get caught in a problem later. I think globally you're seeing a certain amount of, of that as well, as companies just aren't entirely sure how things are going to play out, both for the U.S., for Europe, for Asia. Uh, and so you're getting a little bit of that kind of as predictive purchasing. Um, you're also seeing some economies coming back to life that had been in the doldrums for a while, and most notably China. China is kind of at the end of a big stimulus push uh, that they've been doing for the last two years. It's now starting to really work, and therefore China is, is now importing again, which has been good news for a lot of countries that are dependent on China ends up being good news for us because those countries buy from us. If you look at the purchasing managers indexes that are coming from all over the world, I mean, there's been some surprising expansions. Eastern Europe is seeing really high uh, PMI values, which is kind of unusual. You know, they're actually exceeding what's happening in Western Europe right now. Uh, I, I have a, an opinion to ask of you, and I, I know that uh, this may be a little bit out of your, your bailiwick, but um, I, I know you always have an opinion. Uh, I, I do. The Atlanta Falcons yeah. were robbed. There's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Now I got that one out of the way. Now, uh, exactly. the second question. The second question is uh, the the duties and imports that uh, import duties and tariffs and so on that uh, Washington is beginning to talk about, particularly with China. Uh, do you see him actually, uh, the, the, the administration actually being able to pull this off? Or, will, or could it start yeah. a trade war? Well, it's conceivable that it could start a trade war, but what we're talking about is not particularly new. The border adjustment tax is kind of a a new name for an old concept that's been out for about 15, 20 years at least. And mm -hmm. it always runs into the same problem. The idea is that we would flip the tax code. Right now, there's a bit of a tax advantage. If you import, there's not one if you export. The idea would be to flip that so that the importer would not get a tax advantage, the exporter would. The notion is that this would encourage more exporting. It would discourage importing. The problem is, <clears throat> is that as soon as you do this, it tends to make the dollar even stronger. And no one's ever been able to figure out a way to make that adjustment without also having the dollar gain, and the dollar has already been gaining. So at the end of the day, you don't change anything. The importer is still going to import because the dollar value has made that import cheaper. 
Mm-hmm. So it's it's always this this kind of like, dang it, if we could do this without affecting the dollar, this would make sense. But we always affect the dollar, and right now the dollar is responding to higher interest rates anyway. Mm-hmm. I suspect that you will still see targeted tariffs because we've done those for years. Um, we can go all the way back to the Nixon administration in terms of trying to discriminate against certain kinds of imports or certain kinds of products that happens every day and will continue to, I don't think we'll see the big broad based tariff structures, at least not the way they're being conceptualized now, because you can't quite get the bang for the buck that, that you'd hope to. And Mm -hmm. you're getting a lot of opposition from the importers, uh, particularly agriculture, retail, um, the energy sector, all of them saying, well, you know, I know what you're trying to do, and it may be good for manufacturing, but the way you're approaching it, it's going to make food expensive, it's going to make energy expensive, it's going to make clothing expensive. Isn't there a different way to do this? And I think at some point that different way will start to emerge. Yeah, it's because uh, who's going to wind up really paying the tab at the end? It's going to be the consumer. No, it's the same people who always pay the tab. I mean, right. it always cracks me up that people are saying, well, we're going to tax corporations. We're going to tax. Uh, do you not understand that all of that tax gets passed on to the consumer every single dime? So if there is a tax increase, tariff increase, you, the consumer, are going to pay it. You're either going to send a check to the government or you're going to be sending it to the retailer who is sending a check to the government. I mean, it's it's a tax. <laughs> but they they still put out the dribble about the fact that you know, you know we're going to get those corporations we're going to get those foreign companies yeah and it's kind of know. like you know the the only way that that works which would be patently illegal is to say we're going to raise the corporate tax on even numbered companies so so only <laughs> even numbered companies would see the tax go up and the odd numbered companies wouldn't and so they would keep the even number I mean but that's patently illegal so you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How is Japan doing? I know you're one of the people that we talked to that follows Japan, and uh, they've been in the doldrums for a long, long time. How are they doing now? You know, they're not doing too bad. I mean, they're still not, you know, pounding along like they would have liked to and that they did 20 years ago. They're not quite as depressed as they have been. Uh, You have seen reasonable growth on a quarterly level. Uh, Exports are up. They're becoming more competitive. Japan is always stuck being dependent on some big market. For years, they were dependent on us, uh, still pretty significant. Then they were dependent on China. And as China goes and as the U.S. goes, so goes Japan. But it's always good to remember that with all the travails and all the difficulties, it's still the third largest economy in the world and continues to be very successful. Part of the challenge in Japan is Japanese consumers are not like U.S. consumers. You know, we will buy regardless. I mean, if we refrain from spending for five hours, we think it's a great accomplishment in Japan, it's just a frugal society, and right. it takes a tremendous amount of energy to get the consumer to spend. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I almost hesitate to ask about poor Brazil. They seem, uh, they and Greece seem to be the odd guys out at the moment. Well, at least they're not as bad as Greece. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's oh, wow. like Brazil is is still have a few things going for it. Um, The major problem in Brazil right now is political. There really is no leadership. Um, There's new elections coming, and no one quite knows how these are going to play out. They've also been hit by just commodity behavior. The things that Brazil sells into the world have been selling at much lower prices, you know, soybeans and the agricultural output, it has tried to be competitive on a manufacturing level, and it has been to some extent, but even that, it, it just, they don't have the growth that they had expected a couple, three years ago. The, the currency is low-valued right now, which is making exports a little easier, but it's also costing them big on the import side. It, Their PMI, it really is, yeah, the PMI, the PMI of 44 <laughs> doesn't help them either. Yeah. 
No, I mean, and that's, I mean, that's a classic example of of being fairly dependent on a handful of manufacturing sectors. And if those, for whatever reason, stumble, there really isn't an alternative uh, as far as they're concerned. Right now, it's it's kind of work through the political mess and develop a plan and try to do it in in some kind of order. Meanwhile, Argentina continues to pull itself out of the muck, and there was some concern that Mauricio Macri was losing a bit of popular support. The good news for him is that the opposition is in such disarray that it's not affecting him, and Argentina is continuing to expand, kind of getting itself back into the legitimate financial world. And I suppose uh, Venezuela is uh, still in uh, some state of difficulty. Oh, yeah. That would be the understatement of the year. Venezuela (laughs) is right on the edge of being a failed state. I mean, it is – it has nothing. I mean, it's completely dependent on oil, and oil prices may have gone up a little from last year, but still 53 bucks a barrel. The assessment is that our Venezuela would not be able to pull itself together unless and until oil prices are 230 bucks a barrel, <laughs> which isn't going to be happening anytime soon. <laughs> so, right. not, not likely. Not likely. Well, you know, looking at, at Europe, we're always kind of watching uh, what's happening in the, the uh, European Union, and everybody always uh, has to touch on Greece. And I don't mean to be unkind to Greece. I just don't understand it enough to know what their manufacturing capabilities are. Uh, there isn't than, any. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a real simple question to answer. There isn't any. Um, they are not a manufacturing country. They're entire economy is based on agriculture, tourism, and the shipping industry. Um, And that's really all they have. They don't make anything. And that's what keeps a country like Greece from being able to pull itself out. Spain is making some signs of recovery because Spain is a manufacturing country. You know, it makes cars and it makes airplanes and it makes lots of things. So it has a base to work from. The good news in Europe right now is that it now appears that France may not go the populist route that everyone thought they were going to. Uh, the latest polls have Marine Le Pen um, behind uh, Emmanuel Macron. So that's good news as far as the elections are concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, have they had their first round elections yet? or, or? No, they haven't. Those are, are still to come and, and that will most likely, if the if the polls hold the way they have been, you'll end up in a second round between Le Pen and Macron. And Macron is going to pick up, at that point, socialists and center-right and anybody that fears Marine Le Pen. So, you know, he would, he would be a very good candidate to win the second round. Okay. Well, you know, back here at home, things appear to be very strong. Uh, the apparent Trump bump of the Dow is uh, adding, you know, three point seven trillion to company valuations. I don't know how long that's going to hold up, but it's yeah. And the challenge with the, the yeah the market right now, part of the challenge is that much of the growth is dependent on foreign money. Estimates are that almost a third of the money in the market now is foreign which is good news for us right now because it means that Europeans and Asians and Latins are investing in the U.S. because there are no good alternatives at home. The fear down the road is that if these other places pull themselves together, that money that was flooding in here will flood out and and it will go back to the countries from which it came. And then suddenly we will see big drops in the Dow, which really have nothing to do with our economy, but just have to do with the fact that the Germans got encouraged and started bringing money home. This is not something we need to worry about this year, um, but next year, maybe. Well, maybe the new administration will stop money from leaving the country also. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Currency controls. I mean, it's been done before. 
that's right. The, that's the, right. the big challenge as far as, as reacting to Trump is to figure out how much of the agenda is, is going to be in place by the end of this year. I mean, right now, for all intents and purposes, the Trump promises are in the hands of Congress, um, whether it's infrastructure or tax reform or deregulation, Obamacare, trade, all of that stuff. That's now Congress. And if if he has influence and can keep Congress moving in the direction he likes, these things might come to pass. But this is now going to be very bloody politics, and it's it's you why noticed. people don't like Congress. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's what's their approval? What's their approval rating? Seventeen. Yeah, it's yeah, it's slightly below that of used car salesmen and I think <laughs> Silverfish. Um, but you know, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it will be an interesting state of affairs as he begins to experience what every president has commented about as they left oh, yeah. office. I hate Congress. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just we we sort of forget our early history lessons, and we have you know we have James Madison to blame for all of this. Madison was the most depressing founding father we ever had. He trusted nobody, and he trusted nothing. And so he created a government that is designed not to work. You have the executive and the legislature and the judiciary all hostile to one another, all trying to stop one another, because in his estimation, the best government was the one that couldn't function. So there we have it. Well, we had that one in the last administration. And the one before that, and the one before, and the that, one before and that, and the one yeah. before that. <laughs> so he's, he's done his job. Our founding father has. has done his job. <laughs> yes, he has. Well, Chris, we certainly appreciate always having you on Manufacturing Talk Radio, and uh, thanks for being back with us again. You're welcome. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next month. <laughs> Thank Very you, good. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We've been speaking with Chris Keel, who is with Armada Corporate Intelligence, and we will be right back after these commercial messages. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. Elevate your career and stay ahead of the curve with EISM. Brought to you by the Institute for Supply Management. EISM is the first on-the-go lifestyle-compatible learning initiative in the industry. It features hyper-short 15-minute modules and guided learning courses that can be completed in as few as three weeks, just right for you or your team. It's the world's largest one-stop online learning shop for supply management. Register today at ismelearning.org. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment, components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials? 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason ThomasNet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to ThomasNet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We have with us now Anthony Nieves, who is the committee chair for the non-manufacturing report on business. For those of you who may not be familiar with it, this is the tandem report to Brad Holcomb's report on business of the Institute for Supply Management. Both of them uh, very interesting this month. 
Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you. We're very excited about your numbers. They look terrific. Very strong report this month for non-manufacturing. You must have worked overtime. <laughs> I'd like to take credit <laughs> for it. <laughs> so tell us tell us about it. Well, we look at the composite index, and for those that are unaware, the composite index is comprised uh, of business activity, new orders, employment, and supplier deliveries, each weighted 25%. The composite index came in at 57.6, up slightly month over month, but not only a new 12-month high, but the highest reading we've had since October of 2015, which uh, really bodes well for this sector. Well, that's excellent. Now, Kind of walk us through the uh, uh, non-manufacturing results at a glance. Both you and Brad put a chart in these reports, and we encourage anyone listening to the show to go to instituteforsupplymanagement.org under their news section and download these reports. But, uh, Anthony, walk us through this chart because the details are always very interesting. Yes, the uh, table that you're referring to or the chart is the results at a glance, which is on page two of the uh, report for non-manufacturing. And what it does is it lines up the uh, indexes for both non-manufacturing and manufacturing side by side, and you can see the rate of change month over month as well as the trend of how long uh, this uh, has been up or down for that particular index for the non-manufacturing side. It, it reflects the direction and whether that rate of change is faster, slower, contracting, or um, growing, um, again, month over month. And it lists the uh, composite index as the lead, and then the four indexes that make up the composite fall right in underneath it, followed by inventories, prices, backlog, new export orders, imports, and inventory sentiment. So I always like working off of this chart myself, whether I'm doing an in-person presentation or speaking uh, on a show such as this or, or talking uh, directly to the media. Now, the business activity production, how do they measure production in non-manufacturing, Anthony? Well, the production is actually in that heading referring to the manufacturing side. The business activity part is what is correlated to the non-manufacturing side. So business activity would be any such activity going on in the respective companies that comprise uh, or the industries that comprise the 18 industries that make up uh, the non-manufacturing sector. So it would be day-to-day activity of whatever services they might be providing to uh, their end-user uh, consumer. Uh, Anthony, one of the uh, points that uh, Brad Holcomb brings up in the report, and we had him on earlier, uh, that when the numbers start approaching and going over the 60 level, there's a certain amount of uh, concern and watchfulness that uh, takes place on the manufacturing side. Uh, is that the same kind of uh, the clouds in the distance that uh, the non-manufacturing would be viewing as perhaps cautionary? Well, I think what you have to really always look at when you see such a high number, and again, whether it's above 60 or even in the high 50s, is that whether or not it's sustainable. Is this just a, a uptick for one month or a head fake? What is it? Is it going to be sustainable? And I've been asking that question uh, for this sector since October. Uh, we've seen this strength kind of just keep uh, maintaining itself. Uh, we had a slight cooling off in January, but again, it was just in that rate of growth month over month. So the baseline moves on a monthly basis. So the non-manufacturing sector had been moving uh, through a growth period of strong, I should say, slow, steady growth for quite some time, and then it really picked up strongly in this last quarter of 2016, and it's carried through into, uh, you know, two-thirds of the way through the first quarter here. And again, I, you know, I referenced that slight cooling off in January, but it was just a little bit dipped down in the rate of growth. It still exemplified strong growth in the first quarter for non-manufacturing. 
at 63.6, you know, 3.3 percentage points month over month. As you mentioned, that you know, threshold being the 60, 60.3 last month, now to 63.6. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that's sustainable, that remains the you know the big question. Well, I guess the rule applies: what goes up must come down. <laughs> Don't start too early. We're doing great here. <laughs> Anthony, what are your respondents saying? It seems to me that uh, they should be in a pretty good mood. Well, our respondents, and and I've looked at all of, I always look at the comments in totality, every single comment that comes in month over month, and I extrapolate the comments that um, reflect the the report itself um, and and also the industry, because certain industries, not all industries of the 18, uh, always exemplify growth month over month. But uh, specifically, we see healthcare and social assistance, uh, the comments from that particular industry is our business remains strong. Uh, Another one from management of companies and support services, business has been consistent for the start of 2017. Uh, Mining, which was taking a beating all of last year until um, the tail end of the fourth quarter, has come out of the gate uh, pretty strong for the first quarter, and, and it's reflected in their comments. Strong first quarter for our industry shows promise for 2017. So um, I would say the comments overall have been mostly positive about business conditions and the overall economy. And, you know, one thing to keep in mind is there's a lot of confidence out there, whether it's purely psychological, remains to be seen, but the market's certainly reacting to it. Companies are reacting to it. We're seeing capital reinvestment. I think at the end of the day, what's going to matter is what is going to be executed as far as some of the policies going forward, uh, such as loosening up the purse strings on financial institutions and having capital available for business development and some of the uh, trade agreements uh, being reworked and you know things on and on that we've been all reading about in the press. And again, if once they become uh, items of execution, then uh, I think we'll stay on this trend. One of the uh, reports that we saw rather recently about the the ten top uh, growth industries in terms of employment uh, actually happened to be uh, healthcare and social assistance, the number one growth industry. And I guess it's indicative of more people retiring and more people becoming senior citizens and so on. Of course, the salary levels for that group of people are pitifully low, pitifully low. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine why somebody would actually want to be a caregiver and make under $20,000 a year no matter how many jobs you can get. Well, I think that you have to break it down this way. <clears throat> there are two sides or, or there's multiple segments to healthcare, And the caregiver portion is, uh, you know, taking care of people's in their home, people in their homes that are non-skilled positions. This is mostly uh, personal care services such as uh, right. fixing meals or cleaning and tidying up and whatnot. Now, I can look back to 2007, 2008, when I was on the tail end of my career in the hotel industry, and I'm saying, what industry do I want to go into? I wound up going into the healthcare industry. Why? Because during the recessionary period of time, 2007 and on, the two industries that were most resilient to that recessionary period, one was healthcare and social assistance, and the other was education. Those two industries consistently reflected growth month over month when the rest of the economy was tanking. Now, I own, not to, I'm not going to plug my company name here, but I own a company, a healthcare company, and we provide not only the personal care services, but skilled services from skilled nursing, occupational therapy, physical therapy uh, in people's homes. And the folks that are working in that industry or working uh, for me or whether they're third-party contractors, are compensated very well. There's a mm-hmm. nursing shortage in the state of California and in other states across the country. And, you know, registered nurses and, and licensed vocational nurses, or as they call them, nurse practitioners in other states, uh, 
they can work as much as they are willing and want to. And so mm, it's lucrative really. for them um, in, in that regard. And to your point, why did I get into this industry? Not only was the uh, two industry segments um, that I mentioned, and one of them being healthcare and social assistance, resilient to the recessionary period because people can't dictate when they're sick regardless of what the economy is doing. Right, right. It's the demographics, as you mentioned, the aging population of the baby boomers and everything else. It was a growth industry, and that's why I invested in this particular industry myself. Mm -hmm. I told my wife that when I get to that age and I need uh, social services or health care services, I want Nicole Kidman. (laughs) (laughs) And that's only because Anna Nicole Smith isn't around anymore. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, the oil prices that have stabilized, um, do you have any sense from respondents or from the industry when they might begin to do more capital expenditure? I know that you did a report back in December and you did some forecasting, and you've got one coming up in May at your annual conference, ISM 2017. Any sense of when uh, oil and gas may start to get capital excited? You know, that's a great question and one that we don't have the pulse on just yet. Uh, We did receive a comment out of one of our uh, respondents that said, you know, oil prices have stabilized, but not at a level that drives significant increases in capital spending at oil and gas companies. Business activity has increased just slightly. That's from professional scientific and technical services. And, um, you know, they were beaten down so hard last year in regards to that uh, capital spending that we'll see. Uh, I think we'll have to get past this first quarter uh, completely before we really can ascertain what's going to go on with that uh, particular industry segment. And the wholesale trade seems to be doing well, but what is lumped into wholesale trade? Well, wholesale trade is a big indicator, or I should say a a good indicator for the non-manufacturing sector because Unlike having a manufacturing plant, you're typically reliant on overland trucking, uh, remote dispersed uh, locations, disparate locations. Uh, Wholesalers act as the intermediary. They add the time and place value uh, in the supply chain for non-manufacturing service type companies. So when you see that wholesale trade is doing well, they're they're the conduit. They're the uh, distribution channel for non-manufacturing companies. Mm-hmm. So you see that a lot in the uh, just if, if you're driving down the street and you see the big trucks that are delivering to restaurants and hotels and to uh, the um, uh, even the Home Depots of the world uh, this is what those distributors, those wholesalers are doing uh, dropping product off uh, for the consumer to uh, uh, purchase from these uh, uh, various locations or, or in the case of um, you know, institutions of, you know, accommodation and food services per se, they're using those large uh, uh, distribution channels for their particular products that they have. As uh, as a manufacturer of uh, forgings at uh, All Metals and Forge Group, which of course is the manufacturing side, uh, the new order count there also is extremely, extremely good number, 58-something, I believe, uh, and I, but I see it on the non-manufacturing side also that it's very strong, over 61. Yeah, and that's the highest we've had since uh, August of 2015. And you know, mm-hmm. being a leading indicator, uh, that that tells me that there's not going to be, uh, if there's any kind of cooling off next month, it, it wouldn't be. Uh, anything significant with such a strong uh, number of, mm-hmm. of uh, items in the pipeline based on that index. Right, right. Even if it dropped a point or two. <clears throat> Anthony, how is this report tracking against your December forecast? Well, you know, that's that's a, a little bit of an apples and oranges only because we're measuring a little bit of different things there. Um, okay. However, to correlate it to the to the end result, how is you know revenues revenues is what we measure uh, business revenues in the semiannual forecast and uh, you know operating rate and capacity those are some of the things we measure in the semiannual versus these indexes which are more specific to monthly activities and uh, yet business activity will and new orders will ultimately result in business revenue 
so the correlation can be made there. And I would say that at this point we're tracking ahead. If I was to um, loosely correlate that together and, and looking at it on a annualized GDP basis, I would say that we're definitely ahead of what we uh, forecasted back in December. Well, that's encouraging. We uh, always appreciate the Institute for Supply Management coordinating with us to have both uh, you and Brad Holcomb on our show. Always uh, great information within the reports, and we encourage our listeners to go to the Institute's website to pull down the reports and dive into them in detail. Anthony, thank you for being with us again today. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next time. All right, gentlemen. <laughs> All right, Have a good take one. Care. Take All care. Right, you too. Bye-bye. We've been speaking with Anthony Nieves, who is the committee chair for the Non-Manufacturing Report on Business. Thank you for listening. Bye, all. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.